One last thing before I get into the message this morning. You guys, have you heard that there's an election this week? You heard about that? A little kind of a secret, a little rumor going around. Um, I want to encourage you. I've been doing this the last few weeks. I just want to encourage you to vote. And uh, it's it's kind of that symbolic, not just symbolic, but but proactive thing that's a gift to us who are citizens of this great nation, the United States of America. And for all of its problems, it's still a great nation. And I, I just want to encourage you to vote. Um, some people have asked me, Jim, why, why aren't you more vocal from the pulpit about, um, you know, one candidate or one party over another. And, and, and here's, here's a couple of reasons why. Um, if you ask my family, they'll, they'll tell you I have some pretty strong <laughs> political opinions. Uh, there's, there's no lack of uh, paying attention here. And, uh, I feel very strongly if you, if you want to know, uh, I'll tell you, uh, but I won't tell you from here. And there's a reason why, a couple of reasons. First of all, um, there are people at LifePoint Church who are voting blue, and there are people at LifePoint Church that are voting red. But we are one church. Our oneness is not in our political party or in our political positions or opinions. Our oneness is in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. And the miracle of the church is that people from a variety of different backgrounds and different philosophies, different perspectives on all kinds of things uh, come together at the foot of the cross, and the ground is level there. And and, and we come together in Christ. And and so uh, after Tuesday, <laughs> hopefully we're still at church, and we, and we love each other. That's our command. And uh, Jesus said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. Not that you vote one way or the other, not, not your political opinions, but by this all men will know that you're my disciples, that you love one another, that there's a tangible, observable love in the church. And so vote, vote your conscience, but love each other. And then understand that... Um, we have a, a community to reach, a world to reach for Christ. And uh, if we lead with our political opinions, they won't hear another thing we say. And and I want to lead always with the gospel of Jesus Christ and uh, and make him great again. Amen? All right. So that's my first sermon. You want to hear the second one? Let's stand together and, and read God's word this morning. Philippians four ten through 23. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, 
When I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is God's word. Would you remain standing and let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the privilege of being a part of this local body of believers. I thank you, Lord, for each one. I thank you for the ways that you are working in us, the ways that you are working through us, the ways that you are adding to us. And, uh, Father, we we just want to be uh, a church that is a fragrant aroma to you, an acceptable offering to you. And so, Lord, would you work in our hearts and work among us those things that are pleasing to you, that you would choose to bless. I thank you for those who are visiting with us today. I thank you for those who are uh, tuning in um, on the live stream online, and we just pray, Lord, that you bless them as well as they have gathered with us virtually today. Commit this time to you. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we have come (laughs) to the end of this series through Philippians, 19 messages through Philippians. And uh, it's been a, it's been a, has it been good? Yeah, been good for me. I've, I've grown a lot, learned a lot through this, this time through. And it's interesting, you know, that I've taught through Philippians before, but, uh, each time you come back to God's word, you, you come as a different person. <laughs> You're not the person you were the previous time. And, uh, not that I have multiple personalities. That's not, it's not what I'm saying. But, but you do come to God's word because you're in a different place each time. And, uh, I've, I've seen and, uh, heard and learned things, uh, in this time through Philippians that I have never, uh, perceived before. It's kind of all those moments where you go, where was that? How come I never saw that before? And, and it's always good. Well, last week we were reminded about two things, uh, two things about the conditions in which Paul was writing this letter to the church in Philippi. First, we recalled that uh, Paul was probably, well, he was incarcerated. We know that. He was imprisoned. He was, uh, but he was probably not incarcerated in a prison cell, but was instead under house arrest in Rome in maybe somewhat more comfortable rented accommodations. Second, we understand that the prisoners of Rome uh, were afforded no internal support, and, and what I mean by that is that they were provided no food, no drink, 
no clothing, no bedding, no medicine. And what that meant for Paul was that everything he might need for his everyday sustenance had to be provided and delivered by from by people on the outside. The church in Philippi, having heard that Paul had been taken into custody, that he faced the prospect that his hearing before Caesar would result in execution, there was a very real possibility of that. They sent a man named Epaphroditus as a representative from their church. And Epaphroditus traveled uh, nearly 800 miles, although I was thinking about this, that that uh, when I went online and said, you know, kind of Googled the question, how, how far between Philippi and Rome, it said 800 miles. Now, I don't know if that's as the crow flies, you know, in a direct line, uh, or if it's actually, you know, you get on the, get on the road and put it in drive and you get there in 800 miles. But I'm pretty sure it wasn't just 800 miles back then, and, and it was on foot or by horse or by whatever. Long distance from Philippi to Rome, and, he, and, and Epaphroditus brought with him a generous financial gift. And not only that, but he offered himself as part of the gift. He, he came to stay, as it were. He came to be a servant to Paul and to support Paul uh, as he was there uh, chained to a soldier. We don't know an awful lot about Epaphroditus, but in chapter 2, Paul described him as my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. And uh, that's a mouthful. And I suggested last week that, that you do a word study on that in your own time. I would encourage you to do that because the, the words that Paul uses here to describe this man are, are amazing uh, and powerful. Well, not surprisingly, then, the, the arrival uh, of Epaphroditus from Philippi was, was an occasion of great, great, great encouragement for Paul. For all the obvious reasons, but also, and most important to Paul himself, it was because it indicated to him that the believers in Philippi were still thinking about him, that they were uh, their, their deep concern for him had not diminished in any sense. They had sent a generous gift at a variety of levels. But Paul wanted them to know two very important things that we saw last week. First of all, in verse 11, he says in so many words, I'm not whining. I'm not whining. Paul isn't frustrated. He isn't dissatisfied. He isn't discontent. His happiness, his sense of self-worth doesn't require material prosperity. In his words, not that I am speaking of being in need. And the reason that Paul gave for that in verses 10 to 13 is that he was content, that he had learned the secret of contentment in any and every circumstance he found himself, which he states in verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And that word uh, content um, means, it speaks to an inward sufficiency. It means it doesn't just, hey, I, I, I learned this magic secret one day as I was walking through the magic forest. <laughs> That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I have made a choice and I have found a power that is greater than, than me, that enables me to do everything that God has called me to do 
in any and every circumstance. Inward strength because of the inward presence and power of Christ in his life. So uh, we asked a question at the end last week, got contentment? Uh, and, and if you've, if you've got Christ, you're, you're that you can be there because as you begin to understand his power and his sufficiency for your life and for the life that he has called you to live, uh, as, as you discover and you draw on that power, you'll come to that place of being content. Verse 17, which we'll examine this morning, uh, contains the second major message Paul wanted to give to them, and it, and it comes in the form of a needful clarification, which is, he says, I'm not in it for the money. <laughs> That's important, isn't it? I'm not in it for the money. Paul's mission was not to make himself rich, but to make his Savior recognized. To see the Philippians mature in their faith, uh, to see his passion for Christ and the life-transforming gospel reproduced in them and through them. That's what Paul was all about. And we're going to come to that in just a moment. But before we go there, let's just pause one more time and consider verses 14 to 16 because he precedes that clarification with, with an incredibly warm affirmation. He says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Now, I don't know of a passage anywhere else in the Bible that expresses so clearly the power of a healthy partnership between a missionary and a local church than we find here in verses 14 to 16. Notice they shared in his trouble, he says. It was kind of you to share in my trouble. And that word translated trouble in verse 14 speaks to pressure. It was kind of you to share in my pressure. Pressure not only from without, but pressure also from within. Internal pressures that arise from feeling that one is confined, that one is running out of options. External pressures that result, pressures that result from persecution and affliction and imprisonment and distress. And it's in its general use, it, it was the word uh, described being hemmed in in a, in a narrow, restrictive space. I was thinking about one time our family took a vacation um, to uh, caverns. Which ones? There are ones in Montana. I can't think of the name of them. Lewis and Clark Caverns. Thank you. And, um, you know, you pass through some pretty narrow little passages. And, and if you had a lot for lunch, there's... There's challenges in that, especially if you had a lot for lunch a lot of times. And there's challenges in some of those. And I was thinking about that being being hemmed in, and that's kind of the picture here. Um, today, we might use the phrase, the modern phrase, um, being stuck between a rock and a hard place, and that, that's really what this word uh, describes. So they shared in his troubles. They also shared in his financial support. So that when he departed the Roman province of Macedonia, which today is in northern Greece, he says in verse 15, no other church entered into partnership with him in giving and receiving except the Philippian church. That phrase, giving and receiving, was a euphemism from the financial world at that time that, that just described business, as it were, financial interactions. It indicates to us that Paul's describing financial support. 
No other church entered into partnership in the matter of giving and receiving. So there are a couple of noteworthy observations about this partnership that the Philippians had entered into with him. And the first observation I want to make relates to two time markers that are found in verses 15 to 16. And we could just kind of pass over them. That as you stop and think about what they say, uh, there's, there's a pretty radical picture that emerges. The first is in verse 15. And you, Philippians yourselves, know that in, here's the time marker, in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Well, so what does Paul mean by that phrase, in the beginning of the gospel? That's the question. And for the Philippians, the beginning of the gospel would have been when Paul arrived and preached the gospel and they believed. And they put their faith in Christ. Remember that that Paul was only in Philippi for a matter of days. Eventful days, to be sure. But in relation to time, just a few days. For them, that was the beginning of the gospel. And Paul said pretty much the same thing in the opening verses of this letter, chapter 1, clear back in chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Listen now, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And again, for the Philippians, the first day would have been the day they heard and believed the gospel. And here's what I think is amazing, as you you begin to think about what followed that, the partnership that followed that. Because the Philippian church seems to have understood from the very beginning of their exposure to and their belief in the gospel, that the lordship of Jesus Christ in their lives extended to the stewardship of their resources. Material resources, financial resources, and more. And as I've been thinking about that, it it struck me that, you know, some who claim the name of Christ today won't, don't seem to come to that understanding until much later in their spiritual journey, if ever. So from the standpoint of the life of discipleship, what Paul says about the vision and the decision-making of these young believers in Philippi in recognition that Christ was Lord of their whole lives is really, really remarkable. They got it, this dimension, this dynamic of what it meant to be followers of Jesus. The second time marker is in verse 16. He says, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So that the time marker is the phrase, even in Thessalonica. Remember that Paul was shown the door, or the gate, if you will, by the city officials in Philippi. They they asked him to leave, which he did, after all that had happened. From there, he traveled then southeast to Thessalonica, another city in Macedonia. So... There was travel time between Philippi and Thessalonica, but that was his destination. So let's just say maybe there was a matter of weeks to travel from Philippi to Thessalonica. 
it says in the in Acts that he was there for three Sabbath days, which means three Saturdays. So let's just say he was there three weeks. So, you know, a matter of a week or two or three traveling from Philippi to Thessalonica and then three weeks in Thessalonica, six weeks total. And, and there in Thessalonica, Paul and company preached the gospel until they were kicked out of there as well. What I want you to simply see and understand is that the young Christians in Philippi were supporting Paul's ministry within less than a month of having believed in Jesus themselves. They became significant partners. And the latter part of verse 16 indicates that they didn't just send a one-time gift, but in the course of roughly three weeks to a month that Paul was in Thessalonica, they sent support a second time as well. They got it. Here's the second, what I think is, is a noteworthy observation in verses 15 to 16. We'll just touch on this before we move on. The word share in verse 14 is sun koino nisantes. Can you say that? With No, I'm not going to ask you to say that. It's a compound word. I can barely say that myself. But that prefix sun, S-U-N, means identified with. And koinonio means to share or to participate. And taken together, the word means to share or participate with someone because you have closely identified yourself with them. And so in the case of the Philippians, in, in verse 14, what Paul is expressing is that they had so closely identified themselves with him, with his ministry, with his Lord, that they had accepted his troubles as their own. They had done something about it. They had acted accordingly. As they heard that he was in prison, as they heard about his circumstances, they took it to heart. They identified with it. They made it their own. Then the words partnership in verse, in chapter four, verse 15, and as we just saw in chapter one, verse five, share the same root word, koinonia. In 4.15, it means to invest. It means to share in common, to contribute. Koinonia, partnership, is what ought to characterize our lives together as believers, being closely identified with each other, sharing in each other's troubles, sharing in each other's joys, losses, victories, sharing our resources freely and generously as we serve together to advance the gospel in our communities and in the world. Partnership. Koinonia. It's the word from which we get words like fellowship in the Bible. Same word. Communion comes from that word. Community comes from that word. Let's move on now to verse 17 and, and Paul's second response to the generous gift given to him by the Philippians, which I characterized early, earlier as, I'm not in it for the money. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Let's start with the first part, not that I seek the gift. Not that I seek the gift. There are at least three reasons that I can see that that Paul didn't feel the need to seek the Philippians' financial gift. First, remember that Paul's already said, I'm not whining, I'm not in need, 
I've learned the secret of contentment. I can do all these things that God has called me to do through Christ who strengthens me. It wasn't just talk. It was real in his life. Second, Paul was always very, very careful to avoid any perception of greed. He avoided at all costs any accusation of financial impropriety that would discredit the gospel or his ministry. Paul wrote to the leaders of the church in Thessalonica, for example, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. So while they were there in Thessalonica, they worked. Paul was a tent maker by trade. That was probably what he was doing, making tents and selling them. In his farewell to the elders of the church in Ephesus, he said, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. To the Corinthian believers, he wrote, We are not like so many peddlers of God's word. The word peddler there means salesman, and, and actually it's a it's kind of a, a sneering term for salesmen, hucksters of God's word. But as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. And regarding a matter of financial integrity and, and of properly handling money that was donated, Paul wrote in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, we are taking pains to do what is right, not only not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. No wonder then that when uh, Paul prescribed to Titus the basic qualifications for those who, would as, uh, who aspired to be leaders in the church, he included this, an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be greedy for gain. In the same way, the apostle Peter wrote, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. And notice this, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And you think about various ministries that, that need, and we all need money to do what we do. That's a reality. But Paul was never manipulative, never greedy, uh, never asking for more than was needed. The third reason Paul didn't seek the Philippians' gift is in the second half of verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. This, this he wants them to know is what he's in it. Four. And once again, he's using terminology from the world of business and finance. He, he wants them to understand that his primary concern is not with what they give or the size of their gift, but his primary focus is on what the gift reveals about what is growing and developing inside of them, or rather, who is growing and developing inside of them. And, and in this case, Paul saw the fruit as the outworking 
of their salvation. Remember, he said, um, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who, as it were, who is at work in you uh, to, to will and to work for his good pleasure. Work out what God is working in. Paul saw demonstrations of that in their lives. Remember Paul's prayer for them in chapter 1, and this is my prayer, he wrote, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of See that word again, the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. It doesn't come other ways. It comes by faith through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul saw demonstrations of their spiritual growth as interest, if you will, accruing to their account. Um, And in fact, he, he may have been thinking of what Albert Einstein called the eighth wonder of the world, which is compound interest, you know, because uh, the word increases in verse 17 means not merely to increase by addition, but to increase exponentially, uh, to super abound. So here's the secret that you and I need to learn and to take to heart. And this is the heart of what we teach about financial stewardship here at LifePoint. Biblical financial stewardship is not primarily about what God wants from you, but rather what he wants for you. What he wants for you, which is peace, which is the knowledge that you are living lives pleasing to God, in regard to your resources, whether financial or or otherwise. That what you are giving, you're giving from a right heart in a right way to right causes. Our financial stewardship is at least as important for our own spiritual development as for any good that it might do to those to whom we give. When you and I give our lives, when we give our resources sacrificially to the purposes of God, we benefit spiritually and and we confirm that God is at work in us accomplishing his ultimate purposes, which is our the fullness of our salvation, all that he intends to accomplish in us and through us. In verse 18, Paul again affirms the Philippians' generosity. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Now we use the English Standard Version of the Bible here at LifePoint, but I don't really like this translation, I have received full payment. (laughs) For two reasons. One is not really true to what Paul is saying. But also because it sounds like compensation. After everything Paul just got done saying, he's saying, yeah, okay, thanks, you paid me. That's not what he's saying. Uh, we might call it, you know, these days a quid pro quo. 
we've already seen that that's not at all the way that Paul saw it. What, what he's in fact saying here in the original language is just, I, he's basically saying, I have it all. I have everything I need. And, and it, it has come through your generosity. He has not only everything he needs, he has more than he needs. And he borrows language here from the Old Testament sacrificial system, specifically from the book of Leviticus, to affirm that their sacrifice was pleasing to God, acceptable to him. He used similar language in his letter to the church in Ephesus when he wrote, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Fragrant offering, and that phrase is repeated over and over in Leviticus as the as instruction is given regarding the various sacrifices in the Jewish sacrificial system. Apparently God likes the smell of barbecue, like like we all do. But he's saying what you did, Philippians, in your gift was a, a fragrant aroma. It was an acceptable sacrifice. Finally, in verses 19 to 20, Paul gives them a promise, and then he breaks out into praise. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. God is able. If you're taking notes, write down God is able to do what Paul is not. God is able to reimburse their generosity and more. And there may be an implication behind this promise. I say maybe because I'm not absolutely confident, but as I, as I read it, there may be an implication behind this promise that the Philippians had given so generously, that they had given so sacrificially, that in doing that they had impoverished themselves in some way. But Paul understood a principle that's found in Proverbs 11.25, which says a generous person will prosper. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Good news, huh? Good news. So he's able to confidently promise his friends in Philippi that, that his God would supply every need they may experience in proportion to, not just out of, his riches, but he says, in proportion to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm going to wrap this up in just a moment, but compare verses 13 and 19 with me for a moment. 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. When you take those two scriptures together, they tell us, first of all, that God is fully able, and secondly, that he is fully willing to provide for whatever needs we may experience. We can never, listen to me, we can never, ever outgive God. So no wonder Paul breaks out in praise, and he, and he does this. And if you read the letters of Paul, every now and then he just he's talking about something he can't contain himself any longer, and he breaks out into praise. 
To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. And all that's left then for Paul is to say goodbye and issue a blessing. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household, which tells us again that the gospel was making inroads in the in the imperial palace there where apparently Paul might have been. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the things that you have taught us in this journey through this amazing letter of Paul to this church that loved him, supported him, served him, prayed for him. And Lord, may we learn from them what it means to be a fragrant aroma to live lives of acceptable sacrifice to you through Jesus Christ. Lord, may you be pleased with what you see in LifePoint Church. May we be honoring and glorifying to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.